This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to Talking Dirty episode 21 over at East Ruston Old Vicarage looking rather festive in his scarlet. It is Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. And over in Cambridge is an old flatterer friend of mine. She's called <laughs> Thordis Maria Sophia Friedrichsen. And she's looking absolutely stunning in a piece of fair isle today. I have to say, did you make that one yourself? I did. It was the first jumper I ever knitted. And it's it's uh, it's got a thousand Lovely. mistakes in it, but you can't tell I, on Zoom. Fair isle is mistakes anyway. It's all jig, jag, jig, jag. It's <laughs> fascinating. Well done. Congratulations. Thank you. It's my show and tell. Um, joining us for the first time, two absolute greats of the horticultural world. We have Rosie and Rob Hardy, our founders, the geniuses behind Hardy's Cottage Garden Plants. Do you have some middle names to share? Uh, yes, we do. Mine is um, Plain Jane, um, just J-A-N-E. But it's quite amusing because I'm a forces brat and was born in Germany. And my father and mother had decided on Rosemary as my first name, which was absolutely fine. Daddy went off to register my birth at the consulate and they said, you have to give her a middle name. And he went, oh, okay. And the first thing that came into his mind was Jane. He went back and said to mum, and he said, oh, by the way, darling, um, I had to give her a middle name. And my mum sort of went, oh no, what have you gone and given her? Because their trait was wherever we were born, we were given a middle name that was of that country. So for instance, my brother who was born in Norway has got a middle name of Finn, which is a very common name out there. My other brother was born in, in, in England, so he's got John. I, on the other hand, mum was thinking, oh no, what German name has she given her? You know, so, and that, no, it was just Jane and that was it. So that, that, that's mine and that's the story behind it all. Just think how fascinating, because you could have been a Gretel. Yeah, I know, or, or any of the other ones that are, are there. And, you know, <laughs> Mum was having this really horrendous work. Yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't have worked. Rosemary Jane is fine. I'm quite happy with that. <laughs> Rob, what about you? My middle name is Keith. My mum was one of a farming family of ten. She had five brothers and four sisters. And her youngest brother was Keith, so I got named after him, because she was her favourite. <laughs> the baby of the family. <laughs> yeah. So, Rosie and Rob, I mean, they're names that go very well together and they've gone together in the world of horticulture for a while now. Surely nobody listening to this podcast or watching it doesn't know about you, but, but give us a little quick potted history about, about what you do and how long you've been doing it. Well, it, it, we actually met up in 1985. Um, Rosie is a horticulturalist, went to Rittle College in Essex, and did a three-year HND course in commercial vegetable growing. And the final year, she had to do a 10,000-word thesis, subject, rhubarb. Now, as I tell everybody, I introduce the gardening clubs. I do the introduction for Rosie. And I do try and clarify it by saying that it's the same horticulture, same soil sciences to grow rhubarb as it is 
cottage garden perennials, which will grow now. <laughs> so I said, as long as you understand how soil works and how things grow, then you, you end up fine. But it usually gets a little bit of a, a laughter. <laughs> My background is I was a meat manager for 10 years with Sainsbury's Waitrose and people like that. And then I set up my own business uh, with encouragement from Rosie, which didn't quite work out as well as we hoped. And so we were struggling a little bit. This is back in 1985, 86. We're struggling to pay the mortgage and things like that. So Rosie went off to a car boot sale at Ascot Racecourse. She saw plants being sold, came back, dug up the garden and started in car boot sales. So that was back in 1988. Um, the following year, um, Rosie worked at a farm shop and she was growing the vegetables and sorting them out and selling them. And she was supplied by a, um, a nursery called Lincluden Nursery that used to show uh, conifers at Chelsea. And um, he suggested that uh, he knew we were growing plants and carbos. Why not start to do the shows? So that's how we actually got into showing was um, through being encouraged to go. We couldn't sell from our garden because we were just in a, a street and it was too difficult. So to actually venture out from car boots, we then went and started the show circuit. Wow, from car boots to showing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think that just illustrates absolutely perfectly how important um, garden shows and plant fairs are because it is quite often, um, I find, as a, as a gardener, really, that you go to plant fairs and you find what I would term hobby growers. Um, yep. And they don't have premises to sell from. They don't have shops. They don't have um, a business as such, other than the fact that they go to plant fairs. Uh, but it is at those plant fairs that you get the proper people that grow the proper plants um, and you find unusual things. And I've always said that, and I think I probably always will. We have a couple of plant fairs in the garden here, a, a spring one and, and an autumn one. And mm. I find that, you know, the, the knowledge of, of, not knowledge, the breadth of the of vision of some people that, I mean, they focus on one plant. It could be something as mad as an epithelium, shall we say, you know, there's cacti that grow in rainforests or something like that. But unusual plants that you don't often find in other, um, shall we say, nurseries. I think that's incredible. And of course, you're well known for your fantastic range of plants, I have to say. And before we get too much underway with, <laughs> with Rosie and Rob, I would just like to say I have bought from you on a number of occasions and I, I'm going to put a feather in your cap because I'm going to say that your plants are some of the best and some of the best packed plants that have arrived in my garden. Um, and, you know, I'd just like to say this to alleviate any fears that people have maybe from buying mail order that, um, you know, you're not going to get a crumpled up package that you have to revive and put on a hospital ward. Everything <laughs> arrives so beautifully packed, it can go straight in the garden and it, it comes from you looking fabulous and it arrives with me looking fabulous, so thank you. Oh, glad, yeah, no, we've, we've tried really hard to, and we've changed how we package over the last couple of years. Mm. Um, and it, it's making a difference uh, with what we do. And, you know, it, we want the plants to survive and do well in someone's garden. And if it's not looking good here, we won't sell it. So that's why no. occasionally people might go, oh, but it's sold out on the website. And we'll go, yes, because we haven't got the correct stock. Either it's not rooted down properly or for some reason it's not looking so good. And, and we, won't, we won't send it out. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the key. You know, some people... Yes, I, you know, we've had a look at other packaging because we've had to work on how you do packaging. Um, and and it's, it's trying to make it so that it's as 
eco-friendly as possible. Um, we're gradually getting down to that point whereby at the moment it's the pot and the label. Um, but sending out a plant without its pot on is just too much of a jump, I think, for most yes. gardeners. Yes. Uh, and I think, so, you know, most people don't mind getting a pot. Um, we're a little bit anti the top pots because they're exactly the same plastic as the black pots. They're just a different <laughs> color. And in our area, they're not recycled anyway. They may, be, may go up the conveyor, which reads them, but they all end up in the same landfill bin and go to landfills. So we'd, we'd rather not pay the extra two or three P per pot just to, you know, for this sort of idea that they are more ecologically friendly. They aren't. Just reuse them. We reuse pots, reuse pots, reuse pots on the nursery all the time yeah. uh, until, they, until they break up. And then we actually have somewhere where we can now take all our broken stuff and take it down the road to Alsford and there's someone that recycles it there. We don't get paid for it, but I'm not worried about that. As long as they can recycle it, yeah. that's that's the, the key thing for us. Most important. Well done. That's fantastic. I mean, it's, since you started in 88, so much has, has changed. Um, in terms of kind of plant plants in particular, what were you what were your kind of big things when you started out? Um, that's quite an interesting one. I mean, for instance, Euonymus harlequin was one of the big plants that we launched and was the first, you know, real launch of a new plant that we did. Lavateras were big. They were massive. <laughs> you know, they, we did a complete stand of lavateras, all the different types of annual ones, biennial ones, and, and, you know, all the shrubby ones. And, you know, it was sort of Rob's thing was oh everybody's got to have a lavatier in the garden I haven't sold enough lavatiers yet for every garden to have <laughs> have one in their garden and you sort of think well actually they are still good plants but they're not sold as much because I think they got the rest and all of this sort of thing and then people have changed to other plant material um you know right early on we had things like Verbascom Helen Johnson um there are still Verbascoms out there but they they've moved on color ranges have changed heights shapes how perennial they are has changed. And I think this is all to do with, some of it is to do with um, people thinking that every year you've got to have a new set of clothing. Every year you've got to have a new set of plants. You know, it's that same sort of feel, but really you don't do that with trees and shrubs, you know? So why do it with perennials? Um, you've got to allow things to grow and keep going. I think, we have changed because we have made the decision to try and go into species material, not go into all of these big groups which have got had a lot of breeding done in them. So we've we've drawn back from the echinacea and having every single thing there was in the way of echinacea. We've drawn back from heucherus. Um, we we just stay with those key plants that do well in our containers and the way that we grow outside and that we know will be really good in people's gardens. So we, can we're, I just we're... Sorry, can I just say something, Rosie? I think you, you, you and Rob have it, this wonderful knack of drawing back from something before it's completely saturated. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, echinaceous, they don't do well in our gardens, not really. I think no. they lack that, uh, they, they, they lack that. I mean, North American prairie, absolutely fine because it's cold one minute and hot the next. That's fine, they'll deal with that, but they don't like this wet in between, um, these mediocre temperatures. And again, with heucheras, I th I mean, there was two lovely old ladies going around our plant stand in the garden here one day, and one of them turned to the other and said, oh, Martha, look at that. 
you haven't got that one. And I thought, this is like a stamp collection, you know, <laughs> one of every, and they do the same thing with hostas people do, don't they? So it's, it's, it's very strange, but congratulations for drawing back before it becomes saturated. <laughs> <laughs> we do try, I have to say, but if yeah. you look back and the old collection used to be hellebores, hardy geraniums, you know, staple plants that are really, really good in the garden and that are traditional plants that grow well in our gardens. And then we've then people have branched out into the other things. And we, we, we have a small range of grasses. We have a small range of ferns. Leave that to the specialists who are doing the whole lot. But if, for people who are wanting to have mixed borders, either in sunny spaces or in shady spaces, we only need to have five to ten to give you that effect and then go off and find some more if you really want to be, as you say, a stamp collector of all of these plants. Yeah, but I do think that your, your stand at the Chelsea Flower Show um, is always quite breathtaking, but there are always, I mean, you just say, let's say cottage garden plants, but there is always something that you single out and probably make a little bit of a feature of that maybe the general gardening public is not quite so familiar with. And I, there's another knack there, isn't there, you see, of, of actually drawing, gardeners attentions to a plant um i can't think of one that you i can't name one exactly um mm. but i mean well, let's take really nickers for instance i mean that's a <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a later season so chelsea i think what happens there is things like uh mafia seller gets yeah. um brought to attention it's the way it's used there is the um things like the amsonias yeah. and so you and all of this type of thing and uh, yeah, it probably stems from me having this idea that I've got to put the plants in combination where they would grow in someone's garden. I don't like just doing colour. I have done colour themed uh, displays at Chelsea. It's very, very difficult. It's easier to do a colour themed roundabout um, at a later show. Um, yeah. And but even so, I find it incredibly difficult to put something like, say, Lobelia Hadspun's purple next to something like um, and Anthemus, knowing that the Anthemus wants it dry, hot and sunny and the exactly. Lobelia wants it moist. I, I can't do it just because they go colour wise. It, it, yeah. I, I can't do it. So even with even with those colour themed um, displays I'm still putting little groups together that would be together and then highlighting with other plant material um, there are some people you see, that's where I go out in the garden and I walk down main avenue and I, I can be so critical walking up and down there and go well those are together <laughs> <laughs> and I say it to the judges you know I, I'm going to how on earth did you get them to have a goal when there is such bad planting combinations there and they go Rosie not all about and, and I know they only get 20% I think it is for the actual planting therefore all of their construction all of their design can over and can override. drop them and override them into that and then it's giving such bad you know press and it's giving people the wrong ideas of what they can do with the planting yes it would be fine if it was an annual planting and you were just putting it all out there but even some of those would die you know if you haven't got the right ones in the right conditions it well, does bug me one of the other things Rosa does really well at Chelsea is the colour combinations and she'll yeah. put some colour combinations you wouldn't even dream of that actually work and it's it's quite interesting to see the public come around visitors come around 
and we always start off before the show with all all the staff that come up to the show what's the plant that's going to get talked about the most at the show and you never get it right it's <laughs> something that just captures the imagination that we haven't seen and it's quite amazing how it works and the other one of course Rosie is trying to get everybody to put yellow in the gardens and she will now explain why. I love yellow and so at the moment I've got um, these beautiful self-seeded marigolds popping up all over the place in my gravel garden. It's about the best bit of gardening I do on the nursery is my gravel garden. So yellow is vibrant, it's lovely and I keep on saying to people the first thing when you are being asked by somebody about their garden and whether you can help them to put plants in They'll, and you'll say well what colours do you like and nearly always you will get blue, pink, white, cream, maybe a bit of purple, it's always nearly always that colour mix and they'll go I hate orange and I hate yellow <laughs> and, and you'll go right okay so do you have daffodils? Yes we do, fine. So you don't actually hate yellow, you just don't appreciate yellow that you have um, so what I try and do is I will I will always put together and any talk I do well I will always put those colors together and then I will go and put a bit of yellow either at the bottom of the group of plants or above the group of plants and what happens is people suddenly go oh that looks much brighter and it is because you just got to have a little bit of yellow there because it draws your eye in and I say to people if you go and look at a painting and if a painting's got yellow the yellow is put in specific points where the artist wants you to look at that bit because yellow draws your eye in it makes you see all of the colors around it so for instance if we have got this iris inguincularis here and you put the yellow over above it, you can now actually see the yellow centers of the actual iris better than when it's away. And it doesn't matter which way round you do it, both of those enhance each other's colors. And that's part of what I do when I'm doing the displays. But yellow is brilliant. You don't have to have masses of it. I mean, I do like a lot of splashy yellow, but and you can have soft yellow. So you can use things like Scabiosa ocrelucra, for instance, Columbaria ocrelucra, which is a soft, creamy yellow. And you just put it in and those little buttons just ping out and they draw your eye into other bits and matisses. Uh, Thalictrum flavum glaucum, beautiful, huge, big, tall thing. But if it's against a dark hedge, this is the thing, people love these hedges. So if you've got a yew or laurel hedges, they're quite solid colours. And to break that up, you need a bit of yellow, you need a bit of spikes there. So I do try and, and there are a lot of people who I turn to the yellow side. Yeah, definitely. Which is kind of a continuation on this podcast. We're always flying the flag for orange. We have often discussed the hatred yeah. of orange in the garden. And Alan and I are huge fans of orange. Well, I in particular. <laughs> yeah. My special bit on that one is 10 years ago, 2010, when they first started the Chelsea Plant of the Year. And um, we did our first work through display. We were asked by the show manager at the time, Alex Denman, um, to do a walkthrough display because one of the problems we were having is as the displays got bigger you couldn't really see the plants in the middle of the display so she said why don't you do a walkthrough so you're never more than a couple of meters away from any plant when you walk through it so we did that but we also managed to get hold of GM Totally Tangerine to launch at the show and it went in for Chelsea Plant of the Year it managed to make it into the top 20 but nothing else 
but since then it's proved its worth as a garden plant but and because it's orange and it's flowering for at least six to eight months of the year it's brilliant people have taken on to orange again before that it was very difficult mm, it was yeah that is a wonderful to... plant that is a superb plant with a huge huge um, garden life as well i grow it here and i always try and work in some some sort of copper colored foliage with it and that works yeah. wonderful well yeah, yeah it, uh, rosie it you're so right about the, a touch of yellow it is that pointillist thing of a little blob and whoa it lights the whole thing up i think you showed that admirably with iris angularis <laughs> there i mean it just i just sort of wanted to go wow <laughs> It's, it's just because this is what I do when I'm doing the um, displays, you see. So what you what most people see, the 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 huge, big, bold bit of colour. So with the iris and grincularis here, I'm going to pour water all over the place. Right, let's do it that way. <laughs> so with the iris and grincularis here, most people see the lilac. They don't see the beautiful lines and the white and the yellow that is running down the centre of that. And that's why when you put the yellow next to it, like so, can you see yeah. how much that yellow is really highlighted and brought out on the actual iris? You know, it's you, like you, twitching you, on a light. It is absolutely. So when I'm doing the displays, I'm always looking for the soft tone that is extra in another plant and that is why I can put pinks and oranges together because when you look at GM Totally Tangerine it's got a salmony colour to the fresh new flowers so it will then go with something like um, Verbascum Cotswold Beauty which is that lovely coppery colour and then because the flowers are virtually the same shape but yeah. because one is in a vertical line and one is in a horizontal you get that difference um of contrast, contrast yeah. right the way through so it's using the shapes using bits of color which will t t take from one plant and into the other putting the planting displays together sounds like enormous fun but how i mean it must be overwhelming how long does it take how do you pick <laughs> <laughs> logistics man talking here um what happens is once rose once we've got the plan of the size of the display hillary our nursery manager uh, has been with us now 26 years and she came to us a week after chelsea in 93 and we'd always done fairly small displays so once we've sorted out what the size of display is she will work out what plants we've got coming through at that time of year with Rosie and they'll have the three batches the ones we leave outside the ones we bring in first and then another lot we bring in second so you've got a choice of plant material to use but what they also do is the planting areas they know how many crates of plants it will take to fill that area and if you've got set areas because Rosie always does right plant right place so we've got dry sun damp sun dry shade damp shade we will then work out how many crates of each types of plants we need, add a few crates on the top, take them all up to the show, and it's actually put together at the show by eye. There is no plan apart from the trees and the pathways. End of story. The rest of it is done like a painting, and it's done on site. Oh, proper artist, Rosie. <laughs> <laughs> but we do we do send material we know how long material will last inside the pavilion when it used to be the great marquee and we had all of that canvas and there wasn't as much light things like 
um, <laughs> say penstemon, for instance, because we used to take those up and we used to get those into flower because we had greenhouses when we were originally doing that lot. Um, they would be white by the end of the show. They'd have so lost all of their colour completely. Now in the pavilion with the new structure, it actually is better light for the plant materials. The plant material lasts a bit longer. But we always send foliage plant material up first, things that are going into the shady areas first, and then all of the bright coloured stuff comes later so that it's not there. To put, put a normal size display up will take four and a half days to put the actual plant material into position. It takes a day, maybe a day and a half before that to put all the hardware in, such as the pathways, any of the reels um, and the structure, etc. So yes, it's quite a long time. They're long days. You know, we're there from six in the morning till probably we can only stay till eight, can't we nowadays? Yeah, and then on the last day, you're allowed to stay till well the following morning if you have to. And we've we've gone as late as ten o'clock, and by that time, I can't see to write the labels. Um, I I can't remember how to spell the names. Uh, and you know, even even with my specs on, I can't read the the plant finders to check my spelling. So um, we give up, and I come back in first thing in the morning and double check that we haven't missed one. And you can guarantee there'll be one plant we always forget to label, or it is incorrectly spelt. Um, my, my best one was um, euphoria instead of euphoria, <laughs> and no one noticed for a while. So that one that one got left. <laughs> I think I might call them euphorias from uh, from now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny. Could we just have a look at, at frilly knickers because you've been waving <laughs> them about and, and 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 saying they're like drumsticks and everything, but I don't think anybody's actually had a proper look at at frilly knickers. So that's the front of frilly knickers, and the reverse um, has got a lovely purpley reverse there but the amount of sepals on it it's absolutely covered in it so yeah I mean I named it frilly knickers very tongue-in-cheek and then one of our supply uh, people who then takes it on for growing on because this is a registered plant um said you've got to keep that name absolutely keep that name so it, it's being kept and it's a beautiful thing it's an anemone it's a hybrid um, it's a clump former rather than a runner. So that makes a huge amount of difference. Flowers for a great length of time. It's still in flower now. So it started flowering August and it's still in flower now. So, you know, it, it's a brilliant plant. So it will work in the smaller gardens. It will work in larger gardens, in clumps. Um, and I, yeah, it's just fun. It's, it's different. It's completely different from all the other, even other double uh, Japanese and enemies are not this double you know they, they don't have this amount of layering and the number of sepals that are in there when it's in tight bud it's quite purple on the bud as it opens and it opens and then it opens up and becomes more white um, depending on how much in the sun it is how much in the shade it is so quite an easy plant to place as long as it isn't in too dry a soil no, it's absolutely fine. I, I, I bought some from you and I planted them in semi-shade, which means they get sunlight for part of the day. Um, and they've been flowering. And I mean, it's just, I am just so pleased with them. They are absolutely wonderful. And I think probably as much, you, you talk about not running, probably an important thing with Japanese anemones because they can run a bit. Um, but also um, the shape and size of the plant itself is very useful because yeah, it's not it is. large. And it's not going to be a nuisance and got flopping everywhere. It's... It, it's a splendid plant. Congratulations. Yeah, it holds itself up really nicely and it, it is a good 
form so you're not going to have to stake it it has a as it has a reasonable clean leaf base lovely round leaf base and then the flowers are held well above it and yeah. you know with with a name like this rob's in his elements so i'm not so i've missed all the shows this year <laughs> We've had two shows. and when i did get out there we had some fun i promise you i'll tell you what rob we've been keeping the name alive because it's become one of those things that kind of trips off the tongue in a slightly naughty <laughs> way yes. <laughs> well this is it you see i think you know we, we sort of pertain towards it that you know you've got frilly knickers you've got actea black stockings black stockings the lictrum so hot you can, lips yeah hot so lips. Hot lips. you know you can have a really saucy border. border so you can have it going from sort of sun through to shade and i think you know there are a lot of people out there saying oh i'd love to make that and there's there's a rose that's got a really oh hanky panky i think it's called <laughs> so you know <laughs> So there, I'm not just the only one who's sort of flippant about naming plants. There are other people who are, have got into that as well. And people do love it. We've had some wonderful um, ladies who rung up and, you know, little old ladies. And they ring up and say, I've just got to have a pair of frilly knickers, darling. You know? so, and it's so much fun. It's really good. And then you'll get other people who are really prudish about it. And you're thinking, oh, it's just a little lighthearted, you know. <laughs> Well, I'm looking forward to seeing a sexy border at East Ruston Old Vicarage, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course, I mean, frustrating that you haven't been able to get out and enjoy, you know, having a laugh with people about frilly knickers this year. I assume there's sort of a moment of hiatus and hopefully you can just postpone that laugh for 2021. Yeah, I think Rob's Rob's got the he's got so many catchphrases. You know, they're all bottled up, and and he's he's going to open up that chest. It's almost like Pandora's box <laughs> opening up with him coming up with all of these catchphrases and saying to people. But even he's had it, we, the one or two places he has been to, and he has said he's had a few given back to him as well. So he's now got those stored in oh, the memory banks. This comes from being a butcher, and I'm sorry, but if you go to a butcher, so they will always be quite cheeky when they're serving you. No, food. definitely not. <laughs> and so <laughs> this comes out when he's there at shows. You, you'll always notice if you go to shows, you, I'm very much in the background or I'm not there at all because I'm the person who goes to the show, put up the displays, and then I disappear and come back home. Um, a little bit of a shrinking violet, really. Whereas Rob, he loves it. He's there and he's missed so much being out there talking to people. So when we, he was allowed out for the sort of two or three times he was allowed out, you know, it was like, oh, he came back really jolly and everything else. So it's, <laughs> it's his hit, you know, sort of, uh, he doesn't need anything else. It's just get out there, talk to people. Are, are you even going to disappear, Rosie, when it is your, because next year's your 25th, Chelsea? And your final Chelsea? It's actually the 29th Chelsea, but hopefully. Don't count anything until it's on the Yeah, never count it before it's there. But it would, yeah, so it would have been the last Chelsea 2020. We'd made that decision because I find it really, really stressful. It's a very silly time of year to try and put a huge, big, herbaceous display on. Um, it's in between seasons. This is the trouble. And you always get a frost before Chelsea Flower Show. You can't guarantee what the weather's going to be. So it's either really, really wet or really, really hot and sunny. And so you, you, you can't guarantee what plant material is going to be there. Um, so it's quite difficult. And the other thing is we've, we've got a very good sponsor in Candide, uh, the gardening app, who have financed it all up till now. We've got all the we've got trees and shrubs on order at the nursery. They're keeping those ready for us for next year. We've got a beautiful structure being done. 
uh, that's already been sourced and materials they're waiting to construct it. So we want to finish it and go off on a bit of a high anyway. Um, so yeah, we're really looking forward to getting it done next year. Yeah, you will be there all the time and I will have to be there all the time with it being the last one, I will be around um, because no, you have to be. Um, I'm not necessarily the best person on the stand because I, <laughs> he'll tell you very well, I do get irritated with silly questions. And it's, um, yay. Yeah, <laughs> now, the, the best one is, will it grow in a pot? Oh, and you've got oh, all these pots, always. So I can cope with that because I have a little person in the back of my head called the bank manager. And I've got to make this work financially. Now, you can have as much fun as you like, but commercially, we've got to earn, put some money in the bank to be able to put food on the table. So I'm the other way. I have to make it work financially. So I stick at it. I'll be there at eight o'clock in the morning and I'll be still there at eight o'clock at night because I do not know which person is going to come up to me and be my best customer that day. Nobody can ever tell you that. So you've got to be there to make sure you do not miss anybody. Now, talking of, of brilliant plants, we always like to do a spot of FLOMO on the podcast, mostly because Alan and I go through life wanting everything. Alan, fortunately, has a bit more space than me to actually put those plants in. But FLOMO is that sort of FOMO for anything planty uh, that you've seen and want. You've actually mentioned a while back in this podcast, the plant that I've got on my FLOMO list today, um, Amsonia, which I, I kind of got sucked into an Amsonia vortex because I saw Ciliata on the Hardy's Instagram. And then I found Illustrious on your website and particularly with the talk of its autumn color and these sort of purple pea-like pods. It just looks <laughs> wonderful in every, in every way. So tell us more about Amsonia. Oh, Amsonia are brilliant. They're, they're a fabulous plant and they, they come in different sizes. So you, there are some quite short growing ones. Orientalis is probably one of the shortest, about 30 centimeters to 45 centimeters height and spread. Uh, lilac, starry, um, four petaled flowers, which flower April, May. They are brilliant in shady areas, dry shade. They'll take dappled shade as well. The deer don't eat them. This is one of their big things. They don't get eaten by, um, you know, the bigger pests uh, because a lot of people have got these large four-legged pests that come in and slightly lower ones as well. Um, so it's always good to know that things won't get chewed off. Um, and then you go on from that. So that makes a nice bushy plant flowering early, just stays as a lovely um, bush. And then in the autumn they just come into their own because they vary in their leaf color so some of them will go purples and yellows some of them will go bright yellow and nearly all of them their stem color changes and it goes to this lovely purple stem color and they'll stay like that and they sort of go it's like a firework display and they, they stay for about two weeks with this bright color and then suddenly they drop all their leaves at once and you get left with a halo at the bottom and the stems then come up so the stems then stay for another two to three weeks looking beautiful in this purple or dark color um, and quite often the seed pods will still be there if you haven't collected them too because if they're the species ones you can collect them and use the seed but they're twin pod uh, pods so they are quite long and they're, they're joined at the end and then on a stem so they look beautiful as well um, and they're fabulous plants for people who want something slightly different ciliata is slightly more um it's not so dense it's quite lightweight 
um, and it's a lovely lighter blue. Illustrious is taller, very much um, something which looks like a, a small willow when it's growing. And that one goes the bright, brightest yellow and then its stems go purple. So they, they're great. And they're, they're clump formers. So they're divisible after about three to four years. Um, not not massively divisible. You can only do them into half, but they're great. They're, they're, they're really good plants for shady areas. Well, I need to get me some of those, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> they're very pretty. They are, they are a lovely thing. So they're, they're, they're wonderful. With you guys being surrounded by so many plants um, and, and able to get hold of stuff, is, is Flomo a big part of your life? Do you still find yourself kind of adding things to the wish list? Yes, we, yeah, we do. And, and not just in herbaceous ways. You know, I'm, I'm at the moment sort of trawling my way through, well, at the moment, Frank P. Matthews book and also um, their catalogue for some trees because I, we've made some space um, in the garden. We've just taken down a couple of trees and I want to replace with something. So the reason they've had to come down is they're diseased and there's no point in leaving something there that's sickly. You're not going to prune it back to life. If it's sickly, it's sickly. So it's, it's gone um, and the stumps have got to come out. So that gives me an opportunity to put something else in there. And because we're on shallow chalk where we are here, my list is easier. I sort of go through and I've got to the B, I've only got to B at the moment. I sort of got about 20 plants and I looked at them and then I looked and went, not suitable for shallow, shallow chalk. So instantly things can disappear off my list very, very quickly. Um, there are a couple of aces that I quite like the look of. One or two Still wouldn't like it, but I could put them in a pot. So that, that's fine. Um, or a container, whichever we want to call it. Um, and then I, I really like Crotagus. And of course, Crotagus love us here. So I'm, I'm looking at um, Roehampton Red. I really like the idea of that one because the colour of the foliage when it goes on, I'm thinking it would look fantastic at the front of the house. But what we've removed is something that's flowering. And I quite like that early blossom. So I'm sort of, tempted to put two in the place where one was and that then will give a little bit of shade because the area where we're going into is actually quite a um a sun trap so i need to be able to put something in there so i quite like some of the crotagus and the malus because there are some lovely ones out there and then you get the benefit of also having berry at this time of the year and that will encourage all the birds in and and you know i like this idea of whatever goes in has got to have more than one season interest. It's also got to have more than just being a tree there for, you know, it's good to put trees in, but they've got to have, uh, include insect interest, got to include bird interest, all of this, just so that they really work for their space. Yeah, and their place in the garden. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, Rob, you've got, you've got some ones that you quite like as well, haven't you? Which were you thinking of? <laughs> the one, the, the ones, the one I really like this year, and we couldn't show it at Chelsea. We've got a new thalictrum called Chantilly Lace, and what's the name of the spring one? Tuberosum. It's Tuber a tuberosum, and it's Liz McGregor up in Scotland, who originally came up with Wild Swan, and this is where all the frilly knickers and everything have come from. She'd been plant breeding since the seventies. And she's managed to get pink into tuberosum. And it's an absolutely gorgeous one. We had three wonderful display plants and the young plants came through in the middle of summer. We've potted them on. They'll be ready for next year. But I love the thalictrums. Anything from 
six inches high through to the elfin and things like that, again, up to eight feet. And I just think they're wonderful. Well, that's my little <laughs> little yes. appreciation. Though how you can say Chantilly Lace without wanting to burst into song, I don't know. It's very difficult. <laughs> Another one to add to our list in our border as well. Yeah. Unless Chantilly Lace ever has a sport, it could be called Pretty Face, couldn't it? <laughs> it could, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> but it flowers and flowers. This is the one thing. It was in flower in April. And it's and it was, would have been on and in peak for Chelsea, and it still will be for next year. Um, but it was still flowering end of June into July, just so lovely and and sort of knee height, lovely big soft pink flowers. They're a great plant. So, Alan, what's your flomo? It's a Circidophyllum, uh, Circidophyllum japonicum, and it's called Morioko weeping. And it really is one of the most graceful trees I've seen, the way it just kind of flows. It's, it looks like liquid toffee, the way it sort of flows, and then it flows out onto the ground, ground around it as well. It's just a beautiful, beautiful tree. And as well as having uh, just the, the beauty of the actual physical tree, it gets wonderful autumn colour. And like lots of films, you get that toffee scent as well, which is kind of nice and and uh, in the in the autumn when you're walking around it's slightly damp and you get this whiff of toffee and you think God, where's that coming from you know wonderful um we have had one question come in that we can squeeze into the end of this podcast feel free to to kind of chip in if you want but you don't you can just sit back and relax now Rosie and Rob most of your hard work is done but we always encourage um viewers and listeners to send in questions they can comment on the videos or you can email hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk and Craig emailed in a picture of a monstera a houseplant that he bought a few weeks ago. And Alan, I, I sent it over to you. Its leaves have started to develop these black blotches with yellowy edges. And he wonders what's happening. What can he do to save his plant? Well, I think that there's a very simple answer to this, but let's talk about monsteras for a little bit because monstera deliciosa used to be known as the Swiss cheese plant because it has slits and holes in its leaves, I suppose, much like Emmental or one of those Swiss cheeses. Um, <laughs> And it is a fantastic house plant that went out of favour, I suppose, probably early 70s, something like that. But like all good fashion things, it's come around again and that's now very fashionable. And there is, in actual fact, a variegated form, which is attracting an awful lot of attention today. And I have to say, you see them in posh places for sale um, at posh prices, shall yes. I say. <laughs> very posh prices. Yes. Um, but Monstera Deliciosa, which... which um, which I saw, um, which is what the question was about, is the black patches on the leaves. And that really is caused by the leaves becoming wet. So when you're watering, be a little bit more careful, I think, and don't splash the leaves because that's what, that's what causes it. Um, that's as much as I could see from the photograph. I don't think there are any underlying causes, although, of course, there could be. I shall leave it there. <laughs> um, with so many plants outside, Rosie and Rob, are you, do you go in for houseplants? I've started to go back into houseplants, yes. Um, she has a terrible record, though. <laughs> Since I've known her, she she has the ability to kill houseplants quite easily, even ones that are indestructible. <laughs> well, don't worry, I killed a living stone once, so... That's the best yeah. thing for it. <laughs> I used to have a monstera and I, it lasted. I, it was a cutting that I took when I was at college in 1981. 
and it lasted right the way through until we moved from our Camley house in 1990 and I had to give it away because where we moved to it wouldn't fit and friends said so it lasted 10 years with me yes right so, so you know that one did quite well I'm not good with orchids but I just put it out there I kill orchids within about four weeks <laughs> <laughs> was that like a subtle hint please stop giving me phalaenopsis <laughs> 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 well thank you so much for coming and spending you know an hour chatting about plants with us and bringing some frilly knickers as well <laughs> that's good well we can finish with some frilly knickers there you go <laughs> wonderful wonderful <laughs> thank you uh, and we'll see you at chelsea 2021 yeah, yes, you will. You Absolutely. Will. Thank you very much. Thank you. Look forward to it. Rosie and Rob, all the best. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Hey, 4Ds here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time. Hey.